Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm joined by Christina Nicolotti-Squires, editor of Five News. Starting out at Thames Television, Christina then joined ITN in 1994, where she's since spent more than 20 years. In that time, she's held a variety of positions, including editor of ITV's Lunchtime News and News at 10. She's currently responsible for a team of over 50 journalists at Five News, and her programmes have won an International Emmy, a BAFTA, and an RTS Award for Programme of the Year. She recently announced that she will be joining Sky News as its Director of Content in 2017. Christina, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. That's an incredibly impressive bio. I always say that to everyone that I interview, but it's genuinely one of the first observations. That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it's funny when you look back at things uh, and you see them all together, you think, wow, I did do all that. It did all really happen. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I've been very lucky, I think, and I've I've worked in an organisation. I've been here at ITN for 22 years now, which wow. seems incredible. And it's a company where I've been able to do so much, and I think that's um, that's that's really quite impressive. How do you feel moving on? Because you've got this exciting new opportunity at Sky, and you've just shown me around the the new studio as well. Tell us about that. Right. Okay. First things first. Uh, yeah, the new studio. I'm really pleased that uh, we are bringing Five News back to ITN to Grayson Road, where it all started in 1997. It's been a project we've been working on for some time, and I'm really really pleased. Not only for the fact we've got a new set and a new studio, which is great but sort of bring it back into ITN where Channel 4 News is made, where ITV News is made um, and where I cut my teeth as well, I suppose. Um, you temporarily moved to the Northern Shell building where, when Richard Desmond owned uh, yeah. uh, Channel 5. So yeah, when ITN got the contract back, we... Um, at Richard Desmond's um, desire, we moved, we built a whole studio and newsroom right in the middle of his media empire, sort of between the Daily Express and, and the Star. And then, of course, you know, a couple of years later, Viacom bought Channel 5 and uh, we stayed there for a bit. But um, most of Channel 5 has moved into the Viacom headquarters in Camden um, and we've come back here, we've come home, which is great. It's, it's very, it'll be very emotional finally bringing it home. And tell us about the relaunch then. Channel 5 had a rebrand early this year. They were really keen to show people that they make a really wide range of programmes um, and they're not just the home of Celebrity Big Brother and um, benefits programmes, although those you know do very well. And they've got a terrific range of programmes, everything from GPs Behind Closed Doors, Ben Fogel's Lives in the Wild, um, some really good stuff. And they felt they wanted to sort of have a branding that felt a bit more broad than, than it was before. When that happened in the new year, we were really keen to make the news feel part of that. It's the one show that's on every day for an hour in total plus the updates Uh, and so we wanted to do something that also brought us more in line with the channel branding but also captured a bit of that sort of spirited tv feel to sort of 1970 remember when five news came on air kirsty famously perched she did and then everyone copied um i'm not a huge fan of kirsty for years she's brilliant on desert island discs of course now yeah absolutely um so what we've done is we've come up with something which we feel still has that spirit but also reflects a bit of the fact we've sort of come of age as well I, I've, am I allowed to say what the desk does or is that secret a secret uh, well I can watch I that. can assure our, our listeners that I now know what the studio is going to do so I f- feel very much an insider at the moment <laughs> but like you said the news values haven't changed I mean you've been involved with five news for a long time haven't you uh, became editor three years ago and it's a you know it has a really important role five news um, the viewers who watch the programmes at 5 and at 6.30 uh, and the updates as well, they are people who don't typically get their news from anywhere else, which is a really important audience. It's really important for stakeholders, you know, the government, 
charities, banks, consumer groups, all that kind of thing. And so it has a real responsibility. And the audience is, you know, at home, at tea time, uh, and, and needs a programme that they can really relate to. And one of the things I've tried to really do is put people at the heart of everything. And actually, we did some focus uh, group work recently to sort of in preparation for our relaunch to sort of see what people liked, what they didn't like. And it was really encouraging to see that people really noticed that we put people, ordinary people, ordinary people whose lives are affected at the centre of all our storytelling. And I think that's been really successful. And do you feel a special sense of responsibility, given that it is an underserved market, especially with, with the closure of BBC Three, for example? I don't know how much of our audience would have watched BBC Three because the Five News audience is probably not so much into kind of youth stuff like that. But I do think, you know, anyone who works in news full stop with its newspapers radio television mobile we it's anybody stop and think about the job that you do and the responsibilities you have you know you're deciding what people get for their news and that's really quite a big deal give us a whirlwind tour then of your time here at itn like you say it's been two decades how did you come to start start? here and you know give us a sense of some of the adventures you've been involved in oh god i've been because i'm leaving at the end of the year i've been sort of you know thinking about Lots of things I've done. Um, and they have ranged from, you know, flying over a volcano in a helicopter. It was pretty cool. Covered earthquakes. I've worn a flat jacket and, you know, been in dangerous places, which I kind of, as a youngster, always wanted to do. And when I did it, didn't want to do it anymore. I imagine. Um, I've edited News at 10. Um, I've edited uh, Royal Wedding programmes. Well, I'm sure you'll ask about that again a bit more, but that was one of my career highlights. I've just had a laugh. I've, I've just, you know, I've covered lots of American elections. Um, I've covered lots of British elections uh, in all sorts of different roles. And I've just been really, really lucky in that I've just I've had a kind of eyewitness view of so much of recent history, if you like. It's just been brilliant. It's been really good, really amazing, amazing 22 years to look back on. You don't seem to have lost any of your kind of enthusiasm or joie de vivre. <laughs> no, gosh, you can't work in this business if you don't have a passion for it. it. It is a stressful business we all work in. News doesn't stick to regular hours. will always happen when you don't want it to. Um, and if you don't like the adrenaline rush and if you don't like what you're working in, then I don't, and I think that translates into what you do. So I do think I've... I do try and, you know, we all have bad days. We all have days where you don't want to get out of bed. But the great thing about working in news is that every day is different. You just don't know what's going to happen. And what do you prefer? Do you prefer the kind of big spectacular events like the royal stuff that you were talking about that you can plan for and then, uh, you know, build up the sense of tension and, and, you know, build all your planning and then get it done? Or do you like the kind of day-to-day news gathering, editing a regular tea time show? I'm going to sit on the fence in this one. There's, There's advantages to both. And actually, I think if I only did one... I would probably get a bit itchy feet. Um, editing a, a daily show was great. And uh, again, you come in, you do the show. It's, it's TV news, so it's not even yesterday's fish and chip paper. It's gone to Mars, I always say. And then you just move on to the next thing. But then equally, there's nothing like, whether it's coming up with a new look for five news or whether it's conceiving a sort of seven and a half hour live royal wedding programme, there's nothing like spending months working on something and actually watching it come to life to give you a real sense of satisfaction so I'm hedging my bets on that one I wouldn't say one was better than the other but if you've got seven and a half hours of live uh, coverage of, the, of a royal wedding or you know royal event whatever it is that must be exhilarating and quite stressful at the same time yeah but the stress is what makes it exhilarating really so um yeah but all these things on bigger well, on rolling news and this is where you know this is why i suppose going to sky makes sense to me on rolling news you're taken along with the adrenaline and calling the shots and deciding what to go to next and all that kind of thing is is exhilarating in itself and so it's um 
it's not really. I mean, seven and a half hours without any commercial breaks, which I've done three times now in my career, is uh, you know, you do dash to the loo in a quiet moment. I think I had to manage. I did have a manage a couple of loo stops on a couple of those programs, but um, but you just the story will take you through it. So whether it was I did I did the um, election of President Obama, you know, there's this tantalising chance that at 3am in the morning you're going to have this amazing news story where you know the first black president of the United States is elected and you're there and you're there and you're carrying it through so you might flag a few hours later um, but you you know you've always got something you're building up to so adrenaline and it takes you through all these things I'm sure the presenters will say the same so what about breaking news when even when you're on air with say five news when things happen in that hour does is that an extra shot of adrenaline and and, and is that kind of a bigger challenge to cover in the moment yeah, because when stories are unfolding, context is really important. And so something can come up as a flash on a newswire or a tweet or, or something. And, you know, if it's a tweet, it's 140 characters. If it's a something on a breaking news service or rolling news, you know, there might just be a couple of facts and you have to decide straight away, is that something we need to cover? How are we going to cover it? How much information do we have? Our viewers, you know, Five News is not a rolling news programme. So you have to make sure that you are... You know, people sit down, they want to digest the day's news. So you have to make the decisions with that in context. Um, but yeah, it's what all it's what all TV news people love, a breaking story. Rip it up and start again. And you're moving to Sky in the new year, of course, which yes. is all about breaking news. It is, it is. And actually, it's funny, having been uh, in television news now for probably about 25 years in total, um, I've managed to avoid 24-hour news programmes and here I am uh, at a sort of later stage of my career um, moving into it. And I, again, I think it's just really exciting. It's um, the fact that you've got 24 hours to fill means that you are not only sort of live at all events when they happen, but you can do so much and you can try things and if it doesn't work, it's fine. You'll just do it differently in the next hour. So I think that's, a, to me, that's a real... It's a real kind of, again, a really exciting prospect. And will you be based at Austerley, right next to the glass box? Uh, yes, I will. I, whether I'm, whether my office itself is next to the glass box, I don't know. But um, I think what's really interesting there, they've built this, uh, in fact, when I walked in, for an interview and saw it, I really was like, wow. The ticker at the bottom of the actual studio itself is very impressive. It is, isn't it? Um, and I think that, uh, to me, it was a real sign that Sky, the big company, is taking news really seriously. You couldn't get a more obvious step that television news means a lot to Sky, the big company, than by putting your studio in a glass box right in the centre of your main European hub. Um, and I think it's a you know it's a, a really bold move um, and, and says a lot. It says a lot about their commitment. So yeah, I think it's um, it certainly has the wow factor. So what will the new job involve? <laughs> still working that one out. <laughs> um, I am director of content. I have a colleague uh, who is director of news gathering and the pair of us report to John Riley, who's in charge of Sky News. Who's coming on this podcast in a few weeks. Oh, excellent. Uh, in fact, John and I go back because we used to work here at News at 10. Oh, that's right. You many, did. many years ago. And I will manage 150 odd staff, I think. My responsibility is for the content, you know, how we how we put out the stuff that Sky News gathers, if you like, how we put it out on the telly, how we put it out on mobile, how we put it out on the radio and various documentaries that we make, which can appear on the news shows, but also can appear on Sky Atlantic and various other places. So, yeah, it's really it's a very broad uh, range of responsibilities. How it works out day to day, I'm... I guess I might be making up as I go along. We'll find out more as I go along. 
How do you balance your, your time and your responsibilities, even with the senior job that you've got now? So, for example, we had Chris Blackhurst on over well over a couple of years ago, editor of The Independent on Sunday, and he was saying that whilst he enjoyed being the editor, with being editor came a lot of other stuff like HR and legal and all of that, and he said he found that a total pain. And whilst, you know, overall he still enjoyed being editor, it wasn't anywhere near as glamorous as it, as it is. You mentioned there, you know, the, when you move to Sky, that you're going to have to manage a lot of staff. Is that something that's a necessary evil for you, or do you see that as part of the, the joy of the job as well I actually really enjoy it I mean people are people and they can be joyous and they can be a pain and um, I actually really enjoy managing people I think traditionally this is a big stereotype here journalists are not necessarily the best man managers and I think what happens right across the industry is that you're very good as a journalist and you get made a manager and quite often people don't tell you how to be a manager. And also um, journalists are difficult to manage because it's like herding cats. They don't want to be managed. Yeah, but people do need to be managed. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's a, it's an art. I've learned a lot from watching people. Um, and, you know, you learn from good and bad experiences. And I think that to me, there are downsides in managing people. You have to listen to a lot of moans and gripes in time time. But there is also a huge upside. I love spotting potential in people and developing it and thinking... That person needs to work on this, telling them that, then sort of seeing them grow into into you know into other roles, and I really relish that part of the job as well as the new side of it. Actually, do you feel a, quite a sense of responsibility though? Because I mean, the, the decisions are yours to take, and the book stops with you. But you also might get it wrong. You might make a mistake. Yep, yep. If anyone says they don't make mistakes, uh, is uh, kidding themselves. Uh, yeah, there is a responsibility. And you can only do what you think is right in the circumstances. And I've made a few appointments in the past which haven't worked out. But, you know, that's life. not that is life. Um, nobody's right 100% of the time. And all you can do, I always say to everybody, if you make a mistake, whether it's on air or in the news or whatever, the most important thing is to learn from that mistake and find out why you made it and kind of move on. So let's start at the beginning then and go back mm-hmm. to the start of your career. Did you always want to be in telly? What were your first steps into the world of journalism? Um, I was one of these really precocious children who knew from about the age of eight what they wanted to be, and that was a journalist. Probably because my dad was one. Um, My dad was news editor at the old Evening News, which then merged and became the Evening Standard. Um, as it was well, that then. is old school, isn't it? That Good is old it. school, very old school. In fact, actually, interestingly, I've been working in the Northern and Shell building with people who used to work with my dad, um, which is quite funny. Wow. Um, so, yeah, from about the age of eight, I knew I wanted to be a journalist, and I used to rather precociously write a newspaper for the family called Family Buzz uh, once a week uh, and all that kind of thing. So I have been lucky to know what I wanted to do, and everything's been basically been the pursuit of that. So... When I left school and uh, went to Durham University, the first thing I did was work on the student newspaper with Jeremy Vine. And I've kept a letter from one of my tutors reminding me that um, my attendance at Durham University was had an academic purpose as well as a, a journalistic one. Uh, so, And then did lots of work experience in the university holidays and then luckily got a job from that. So I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I had that drive and that vision and knew exactly what I wanted to do. And then telly was... Um, I started off doing uh, a lot of freelancing in, in Fleet Street on the papers and I found that newspapers is much more lonely I mean they work as a pack so you're all there with each other you know people from different newspapers what I loved about telly was it was a team thing and you go out with the cameraman and you shoot in those days you went out with a cameraman a lighting director a, you know a driver and a correspondent um, now it's you with an iPhone you know, you know it's an iPhone <laughs> um, but it was always a team thing and I always really really liked that and that's kind of I suppose was and also I just think the power of pictures and words when you see a really good TV report, it's brilliant pictures and brilliant words and 
that's what really attracted me. So did you get the bug then for telly? The telly bug, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you ever attracted to kind of go on air and be airside? <laughs> no, I'm far too fond of um, chocolate in the afternoon for that. No, I, I didn't really. I think I'm, I'm again it's that it's enjoying working as part of a team and I think reporters are you know not lonely they work with a cameraman but it's and I really enjoy being at the center of things and so whether it's being a news editor or being a program editor or sort of directing things maybe I'm just too bossy to be an on-air person and I want to sort of be bossing everyone else around um but no I didn't never really felt the attraction to that at all what's your view on on news anchors generally these days kind of becoming a bit more emotional you know when you're dealing with very punchy stories like for example the the recent murder of Joe Cox which is a great tragedy you know do you feel that there's a tension of how much emotions journalists and on-air news anchors should show I think, um, look, the job of a news anchor is to um, bring the story home to the audience at home. And I think showing a bit of that emotion is not a problem at all. It's degrees, isn't it? And we're, we're talking, you show it slightly. You don't start weeping and wailing. Likewise, you don't burst into peals of laughter. But I don't think there's anything wrong with conveying your shock at the story. And in fact, the, the fact that the news that Joe had actually died broke during our programme. So we went on air with our top story, reported by Andy Bell, saying that she'd been stabbed. And the news that she'd actually died broke while we were on air. And so at the end of the programme, we shot on our presenter, went to uh, through to Andy and said, there's been some dreadful news that we've just heard. Andy, can you tell us about it? And Andy sort of broke the news. And he, you could tell he was upset, but it but it, it seemed entirely appropriate to be upset. And then they went back to the studio and Sean and Matt were sort of um, reacting to it. And and I thought that was absolutely fine. If you don't show emotion, then you don't show that you're human. Because there was a big scandal when Princess Diana died that Martin Lewis showed some emotion as he was, he was doing it. I mean, it's clearly an evolution with news presentation, isn't it? That, you know, gone are the days when you have these uh, kind of austere, received pronunciation, in largely o- older yeah. white males yeah. in, in dinner jackets, yeah. and things have completely changed. Yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely. And I think, as I said, viewers need, they want a connection with the person delivering the news and they want to know that the person delivering the news feels it in the same way that they do. Um, So it's about degrees. Uh, It's not extreme emotions, but I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. And we're seeing, you know, we're we're seeing much more opinion coming across into news as well. You know, we're we're not in the, we're not on the, on the lines of Fox News, like in the States or anything like that. But, you know, LBC, for example, has some very opinionated presenters on its programmes. We've had about half of them on this podcast. Yeah, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. And, you know, Tom Bradby at News at 10, you know, has, has a certain bit more of opinion in it. And going to Sky News' programme, the, the Pledge, I don't know if you've seen it, it's a debate programme without any without any moderator. So I think there is a there is a trend, if you like, to kind of get a bit more opinion out. Obviously all regulated because because the broadcasting news industry is regulated, but I think that uh, it's an evolution that we're going through. So, yeah, I think, I think the emotion thing is, is absolutely fine. And Sky News is obviously quite chatty with it, even in the evening output with the paper review, you know, other than the wheel when they're doing kind of just straight rolling news and they're just repeating it, like at the weekends or whatever. It, it is quite a chatty conversational style even there. Mm, I mean, the paper review is one of the most watched bits, I think, actually, in the in, in the entire day's output. Um Again, maybe probably because of the style. People, you know, people like a bit of a bit of, you know, people like news at their their presentation at their level. They 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 need to trust the person that's talking to. Them. They need to know that they've been around. They've been a journalist. They understand it. Increasing, there's so much stuff out there. You kind of need a, a, a respected, trusted person to kind of say to you, "This is the stuff that really matters." To curate it. To curate it exactly. But equally, 
I think people, if they see a presenter that kind of feels too much, too remote and unconnected with their lives, then they think, well, that person's kind of talking down at me. And I'm a big believer in sort of delivering news at your audience's level. Not talking down, because you don't have to talk down. But just you know. accessible. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And do you think the BBC have got a bit to learn about that? Because you look at how Tom Bradbury, for example, on his at 10, is quite chatty and quite accessible, whereas Hugh Edwards, who is also an amazing broadcaster that I have huge respect for, but it is that it's a more traditional news show, isn't it, where he, he says good evening and then he reads the news. And for a couple of stories, he might stand up next to that, that, that news graphics wall. But other than that, it is quite a straight news show, isn't it? Yeah, but that's what it's meant to be. I mean, you know... The thing that's incredible at BBC News is that, yeah, you have Hugh delivering a, a, a traditional, straightforward news programme at 10 o'clock, which is hugely popular. You also have Newsbeat on Radio 1. You have uh, the Eddie Mayer show on, on, on uh, Radio, Radio 4, 4. And, and PM on Radio 4. And you have the Today programme and you have Jeremy Vine on Radio 2. They're all BBC News. But they're all completely different. And I think they're, and that's what's brilliant about the British broadcasting scene. There is room for all of that. Do you think that television news and journalism in, in particular is more accessible to women these days than it was, say, when you started out in your career? Do you think it's less sexist? Interesting one. I think that uh, we are all much more aware. Society's less sexist, I would say, than it was in the 70s and 80s. I mean, I wasn't around in the 70s, but in the 80s and 90s. I was around in the 70s. No, you weren't, only just. But I was not working. Toddler. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think that uh, society's uh, less sexist and therefore the industry's become less sexist. Um you know, there is behaviour that was standard when I first started working, which now would see people disciplined. Um, we've become a lot, you know, but then <laughs> that's not just television news. I mean, look, you know, there's a whole inquiry going on, isn't there, into sort of, you know, how people behaved in, in, in certain places. And we we're not going to go into all of that. I don't know about who viewed television um, back in the 80s and 90s. I bet it was still the same in terms of demographics in that it's women Generally speaking, most news programmes have got more women than men watching them. Um, and so it makes absolute sense to, you know, to cater for, for your audience, whether they're male or female. So I think I think there have been, been a lot of changes. I think there's still some way to go. You know, diversity is at the top of all of our agendas, making sure we reflect our audiences. We're making great strides as an industry. Are we really there yet? No. Will we ever be there? I suspect it'll always be evolving. But we're much more aware of these things, I think, than we ever ever used to be. So do you think the glass ceiling is, is more uh, more more a kind of mental thing now rather than an, an actual accessibility? Yeah, I, I gave a talk to some girls uh, a few years ago. Uh, it was for International Women's Day. About your daughter. You uh, well, it, your was, daughter it wasn't actually my daughter, no. It was, yeah, it was, it was the fact that my, you know, my daughter... I think it was seven or eight at the time, and thought it was sexist that she wasn't chosen to play cricket in the school cricket team. And I sort of, I said, God, I was terribly to say, I said, well, it's a bit of a boys' game. She went, there's no such thing as boys' games. And I, what I was saying to these girls, so I then gave a talk to a lot of 17 and 18-year-olds, and the idea of a glass ceiling just isn't in their heads. This glass ceiling thing, I think we kind of, it, we sort of, as we get older, we become perhaps a little bit more... Um, a bit less uh, not aspirational but we kind of our eagerness sort of goes a bit and I think sometimes we kind of sometimes we can use it as a bit of an excuse oh well I'm a woman so I couldn't possibly do that Um, and so I think sometimes a glass ceiling can be in people's minds because I honestly say you know we started off this interview with you talking about what an incredible range of stuff I'd done over the course of 22 years my gender's just not come into it uh, at any point and in that 22 years I've married I've had two kids um, and it is, you know, 
it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's all totally possible. So I think I think the glass ceiling thing is is often in in people's minds rather than in reality. This is not a question to you as a woman, but as a parent. But I was just thinking, you know, you're editor of the ten o'clock news. That must be difficult for family life if you're you're not home until quarter past eleven every night. Yeah, yeah, it was it was uh, it was not ideal. But then I only worked three because you do really long hours. So then you did um, in those days. I came in at nine in the morning and left at eleven. You did three days a week. So there are seven days in a week. And for the majority of them, I was at home being a parent. And for three of them, I was doing very long days producing one of the top news shows in Britain. And, uh, you know, that was a that was a balance that was fine for me. And what's it like in the moment as you're the the editor of a of a national news program when you're on air? Because clearly you've got the anchor, you've got the the journalist, the studio director. What's your role when you're on air? Well, I watch it and critique it. Yeah. Um, I try so not. You to... talk back and you straight into the anchor's ear, right? No, you no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not interventionist like that. I mean, if something's going really badly wrong, or I think there's something really important we need to say, um, I will. You know, I'll get on the squawk box and 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 say something. I have you seen that story or whatever. But most of the time, you know, we. The structure is the way I work is that I, you know, I take the meeting in the morning. I we, we 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 talk about the journey we're going on that day, what we're going to do, how it's going to turn out. We have a meeting later on in the day where we update it on that. The way I work is I like to think that I hire good people who know what they're doing. I provide the sense of direction and the leadership, and they can get on with it. But you know, we we all work together. I'm a, I'm a big believer in collaboration so an hour before you go on air that you've, yeah. you've largely got the running order of the program completely sorted and barring yeah. any breaking news you know exactly how it's going to yeah. play yeah and is, is, is most of that kind of diary based announcements and pre-planned stuff that you knew that that wednesday the inflation results are going to come mm, out or is sometimes. a lot of is a lot of it you know you're in conference that morning and you think right what's happening yeah yeah sometimes um yeah quite often things become talking points you'll suddenly go yes do something on that whether it's um the ice bucket challenge or uh something that's been mentioned a lot on social media some stuff's diaried, yeah. You know that inflation figures are going to come out; they're probably going to go up. How shall we? You, you have Balance a discussion with your, whatever. Yeah, you have a, you have a discussion with your planning team about how we can best illustrate that. But quite often, you'll you know you wake up in the morning, you've got two or three things that you've planned, but you've got to find some more, and you just sort of think, well, what are people talking about today? What's you know what's the news? And actually, that brings me to my next question, which is, where do you get your news from? So you wake up on a morning, do you go to Twitter? Do you go to the BBC News website or ITV News or Five? How do you how do you actually become aware of what you're going to cover? I'm one of those dreadful people who wakes up and grabs her iPhone and starts looking at Twitter. Isn't that everyone these days? Well, I know it's not good for us, is it really? <laughs> I, I worry about us, the psychological damage it's doing to us, you know, before my eyes are even opened. Weirdly, I can see without my glasses at that time of day. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I look at my iPhone, I'll have a quick look, I'll have a scour of basically ITV, BBC, Sky, everyone's apps, have a quick look, quick look at Twitter. Get in the shower, have the radio on in the shower. I've got it loud enough so it goes over the noise of the shower. Is then that I'm the Today programme? Is it Five um, Live? It ver- literally, it does yeah. vary. I'm not just saying this. It's a bit of Five Live, bit of the Today programme. I'll then get downstairs and I will literally flick between, see what Good Morning Britain's doing, see what um, Sky's doing, see what BBC 24's doing. All the while, trying to chivvy children to get ready for school and... Uh, email my office about what our plans are for the day um but i mean i'm in pretty early anyway so you know we, we have plenty of time to do that so would you describe yourself as a news junkie even now <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm pretty good at turning off when i go on holiday i can i can turn off um but i do have this yeah i do i mean i i suppose it's ingrained in me i can't go to bed without watching news at 10 
whether it's on the BBC or ITV or, you know, a news programme before, which is crazy because I've been in the office all day. I know exactly what's going on in the world, but I still feel I've got to sit down and watch a programme before I go to bed. So, um, And do you watch that as a kind of normal person watching the news or are you still watching it as a professional where you think they've done this shot, they've chosen this editorial stance, I wouldn't have done it that way, I would have done it this way? Or are you just a person who's just thinking, right, tell me what the news is? I think I'd probably look at it with an eye of a professional as in really like that, don't like that. Well, that's a good idea. I might nick that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you, you tend to... There can be some shouting at the telly that goes on sometimes. And you said you're quite good at switching off then. So, mm. I mean, what, what do you do to switch off? When you're not kind of in the news or in the news industry, what are you doing? Oh, well, you know, I'm a working mum. I've got a husband and two kids. There's always plenty to be done. We go on holidays quite a bit, which is nice because uh, that's the only way you can really get away. And uh, I'd like to say I've got hobbies, but I don't, which is really bad. I don't I have any hobbies either. This thinking, is my hobby. I know. I mean, that's, Sad, I mean, that's the thing about news. It does, <laughs> you know, it does consume you from, you know, when you wake up at six in the morning to going to bed at 10.30, I've been living and breathing news all day. And uh, at weekends, you know, I will still read all the as many papers as I can at weekends. I don't watch political shows on a Sunday morning. I sometimes record them, watch them back later. I've got hand on heart there. Um, but yeah, it's family all about takes who, up the rest who of the time. guest is. If it's you know, yeah. if it's the leader of a party, yeah, probably. I'll probably watch it. Or probably, a big but thing, no, but... I mean, I, I like to try and you know, when I'm at working, the rest of the time goes to family. And that actually brings me to an interesting question there about, you know, how people have changed the way that they get the news. Because, Mm. you know, in the old days, you'd go and do a day's work down the mine uh, and then you'd come out and you'd emerge and then you'd watch news at 10 and then you'd go to bed. There'd be one or maybe even two, uh, you know, tea time news and then the evening news. But now, you know, there's rolling news on Sky. There's a a plurality of Twitter and Instagram and all of these apps and everything. Do you think that, in a sense, you've got it slightly different because you're catering for a unique audience on News or are they are the viewers of that program also just in the mix of Twitter and Facebook and all of that? No, we, again, we did some research. So I actually speak from knowledge here. Um, the five news audience, the audience, the people watching news on Channel Five, um, may have kind of dipped in and out. They might have had the radio on in the car, but it won't be the Today Show. It'll be like their local radio station, Heart FM, or whatever. Um, and so they'll hear, they'll pick up bits of news bulletins, um, but it's kind of background to them. And so at five o'clock, it's kind of like. Oh, right. This is what has been going on all day. So, um, so yeah, that is very different. In terms of the, yeah, the sources of news, there is so much of it. But again, I think that's brilliant because it gives people so much opportunity to work in this industry. And, you know, I'm not phased by mobile journalism or digital platforms or however you want to describe it. It's it's just storytelling for a different audience and in a different way, um, and it's uh, it's just like another kind of program really. You know, you you have the same content, but you cut it and edit it in a different way, and you write the words in a different way, and you show more pictures than words. And it's and it's again, it's it's, it's a bit like that analogy. You know, the same story on Radio One Newsbeat and and on the Today program, same story told differently. Uh, and I think that's a that's a, that's one of the, the the exciting things about about digital platforms because when i turn on news at 10 uh, on an evening then i actually know what the news is already i'm not expecting to be told new stuff that's happened i'm expecting to get you know an opinion or an insight or or for them to have spent three or four hours considering it with their journalists and then give me an analysis Mm -hmm. of it really Mm -hmm. i mean do do you think that, that news programs now actually do less actual new news um, I think, well, everyone wants to do original journalism and investigations, and I think that is still a real premium for all, well, 
newspaper and telly people, but for telly people, what you really like is when other telly pe- com- news companies are kind of, you know, running your stuff. But because it's so newsworthy. So, uh, yeah, but then again, you know, we do lots of live interviews and live interviews where you can get good news lines from people. So you're generating news all the time. I think there is, there is a there is that kind of end of the day feel, if you like, where people want a bit of analysis. So this is, I know this has happened. What does it mean for me? Um, so I think that's um, te- really successful. But I think, again, it's, it, it's, um, there is just so much news out there that people still like, you know, still like to sort of, some people still like to sort of, you know, see, see it on the telly. And interestingly, we found that in our research that people kind of, they they feel that they'll see something on, on their mobile or a, on a Twitter feed or Facebook or whatever. It has more, more authority if they see it on the telly as well. So... Classic example, and I'm talking about Sky because I because I happen to know to know this because obviously been you know finding out about it. When things like the Paris attacks happen, loads of people will they'll be seeing it on Twitter and stuff and various digital feeds, but they put the telly on and Sky doubled its audience because people wanted to see see it happening live on a telly screen rather than just on Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever. And so there is oh, they re- double screen actually. I mean, I yeah, have Sky do, on and yeah. Twitter. Yeah, you do. People who say that television news is dead. It's changing. Its consumption is changing. I don't. I passionately don't think it's dead. It's just. It's just changing. It's an expensive business, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, because because you know you can follow someone on Twitter who just happens to be there and film something on their phone. Eddie Mayer on PM can actually just ring someone in Mosul who's on a satellite phone. And other than the actual cost of the person being out there, it's you know it's not that much more. But with with telly, you've got to get a camera a person out there and a sound you know someone with boom and all of that and and also have you ever been frustrated where you know a big story just isn't suitable for telly in some reason because there isn't the pictures does that yeah there are, I mean, you always get stories that don't work so well for television and they're great newspaper stories but sometimes they're so big that you do them anyway and you have to be really clever and, and creative about about how you do that in terms of the co- you know things have really changed you know, when i started as we said earlier you, you know you went out with five people and now you you, you know quite often there are journeys of going out and shooting and filming and editing and reporting all themselves so the costs are in a, in a way have come down but there's there's more stories to tell there's more news to tell there's more outlets so it's yeah television is different from radio in that it, logistically it's it, it's harder to do um but again that's part of the fun because i i love a problem to solve and television has more logistical problems i suppose than perhaps others so tell us some of the highlights and the lowlights because i mean we we briefly mentioned it but i mean you know what are you most proud of in all the years 22 years at itn and, and also give us some of the blooper reel as well well I don't, it's not about blooper reel. um i don't think i've i i'm not just being corporate about that um because i thought about this you know what my highs and my lows basically the story of the royal of itv's coverage of the royal wedding was that when william and kate announced their engagement i was a pretty lowly program editor at the time and I went to knock on my boss's door and I said, I've got an idea. We need to do this differently from the BBC. How can we make it different on ITV? Let's marry, excuse the pun, our news presenting um, talent with a bit of ITV showbiz. And I said, you know, you could have all of our newscasters plus Phil and Holly, Anton Deck, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, OK, I'll take that to, see you, to ITV. And a couple of days later, he came back and he went, they like the idea they're working on it and then a few days later he came back and he went yeah they're going to put Julie Etchingham and Philip Schofield together they think having all the others is a bit too much but that's a, a good combination I said oh, that's great 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 and then he said um, and they're thinking about somebody who could like you know you know, you can be involved in the programme but they're trying to think of somebody who can like work with you on it um, you know make you know keep you in check so I was like okay slightly disappointed went off 24 hours later he called me back and he went they thought long and hard and they've decided that Reginald hasn't anyone better than you to do it and it's your idea 
go and do it. Wow, that's a boost. So, that's a so I didn't do it on my confidence. own, obviously. It was a huge team yeah. of people that kind of did all the logistics and everything. But, I remember, but I remember the night before moaning to one of my colleagues i bet the bbc producer of their program isn't writing the links for every lead-in and she said to me i remember it really well she said yeah but yours our show is going to be like one vision and there were loads of people involved and i and i'm not going to take the credit for it at all but i i loved the fact and I, this is why i think itn's brilliant i love the fact that i was able to have an idea knock on my boss's door somebody said yeah do it and we did it, and it was just it was just brilliant. And I and, it, and all the things I wanted to achieve were the things that we were praised for. Um, I wanted to give it, you know, I wanted my my audience to feel that they were there. I wanted us to be on a level with them. Um, I wanted it to feel like a kind of joyous, relaxed, happy occasion, but also still have the solemnity of the fact it was a you know a wedding in a, in a cathedral. So that was definitely. And I remember, <laughs> I remember we you know we we got them into the church. Sounds like I carried them. You know, yeah. We we filmed them getting into the church. I mean, we'd seen the dress and all that kind of stuff. And I remember the service was obviously a very straightforward you know you know the running order of the service there's no decisions to make on that mm. uh, there was a pool feed inside the abbey she had a decision this is, yeah, well, this is how I yeah, do but yeah I didn't, have to do it. I didn't have to do anything yeah. for that time we just had to sort of stay on the pictures yeah. I was literally running around to all the staff in the gallery going oh my god oh my god it's so much fun and we've got another four hours to go yeah. um, so that no, was great and it was a real sense of satisfaction and I really it was a huge team thing but it was my proudest moment of of, of my career I think in terms of conceiving things down days I, I mean they've got to be you know some bad things have happened I've lost friends you know the day I heard that Terry Lloyd had died I was actually on holiday um, I was on maternity leave my husband was out filming my husband's a cameraman he was out filming out there with him and when he rang me to tell me um, that you know Terry had gone I actually went gone gone where mm-hmm. he said Terry's gone I said what do you mean he's gone and I remember literally falling to my knees and that you know and uh, and uh, when when that happens to a newsroom, and we're, we're a family IT, and whether you work in Channel 4 or ITV or Channel 5, we're a real family. And, and that day when Terry died and Fred and Hussein, the, the interpreter, was with him, Terry was a really good friend of mine. And there's been, sadly, there's been too many of those. You know, when I was clearing out my offices the other day, I've got a folder of all the St Bride's memorial services. Um, and it's become a more dangerous world. Uh, you know, too many of our colleagues, are, are, you know, I was talking to my husband about it the other day. Journalists are a target now that they never used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, accidents will always happen. You know, we go to dangerous places, but there are, you know, there increasingly there are people who actually want to literally but, but take also, a pop at journalists. I, I, that's what I was about to say. Kind of so-called Islamic State do do actually want to stick the journalists in an orange jumpsuit and yeah. then and then execute yeah. and them. We've never had anything on, on like camera. that. I never mean, had the, like the that. traditional rules yeah. of war. Yeah. seem to have been yeah. thrown and out you know, the window. When you when you covered the Bosnian War or whatever, yeah, you you know you, the front line was a bit fluid, and when you came up to a checkpoint, you didn't know you didn't know which side you were going to be dealing with, but they weren't going to look at you and go, "That's a white woman. I'm going to put her in a jumpsuit and cut her head off." Um, and so I think it's become really, really dangerous. Um, and that, you know, but we still have a real duty to tell the story. So how do you reconcile that? Because, it, you know, if you're going to send someone out to the Middle East to work for wherever it's going to be to cover it, you're putting them in much more, even though they're willingly doing it, you, you must feel a sense of huge responsibility. Yeah, you do. You do. Um, Is there ever a tendency to think, even though the story needs to be told, actually, I'm going to play safe here? You should always play safe. You know, you, you, you know we risk assess everything. So we're, we are all very aware of the risks. You take all the measures you can do to mitigate those risks and then you have to decide whether taking those risks is is worth it to tell the story so that's why you know i mean uh, there's been some fantastic coverage from inside syria 
not by journalists going in there because we can't but some really brave people inside Syria in, in, in places like Aleppo um, kind of telling their stories and you know smuggling footage out and um, doing interviews on telly and all that kind of stuff so thank goodness to them we've been able to kind of tell the world sort of what's going on journalism's always been about covering the bad stuff that goes on in the world as well as the good stuff and uh, yeah it is a risky business but it does seem to have become uh, the, you know, they, they are that you know losing somebody losing you know when people get killed in any in, in accidents of any sort is really awful but when you've got to and that's the hard thing when someone one of your colleagues has been killed and you've got to carry on telling the news you can't all just not make programs the next mm. day um it has been really tough really tough how do you feel emotionally after kind of 22 years at itn moving on i mean it must be bittersweet for you you've kind of an institution here aren't you uh, me- meant as a compliment <laughs> um, there are people who've been here even longer than me um believe it or not yeah it will be bittersweet uh i can't quite believe i've done it i always said i wanted to leave in a box didn't think it'd be a sky box yeah. um <laughs> a glass box yeah yeah but also you know jobs don't come up very often really senior jobs and sometimes it's good to kind of you know have a look around and see what else there is to be done and you know I I've learned so much I came here at sort of 27 I'm leaving at 50 I might have got the maths wrong there I've grown in that time and I've I've had a family and my husband worked here so I've you know everything's been grown in ITM but it'll be um yeah be bittersweet emotional but you've got to move on and do things it's interesting that you moved to Sky as well because you've had the agility of ITN here and that commercial you know smaller team moving to something similar to Sky but some some of the people that we've spoken to in that chair have moved to the BBC where they found it you know a lot more kind of burdensome in terms of the bureaucracy and uh, you know it can be quite a challenge really was that something that you wanted to stay in the kind of commercial sector yeah I mean I don't think I've sort of consciously thought ever oh I won't go to BBC because they're not commercial but there is something attractive about being able to work in an environment where you know the 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 chain of decision is short and you know you can go should we do this yeah let's do this and just do it um and again going you know going up to sky as um sort of joint number two i'll be able to do that and i think in a similar way i mean a lot of (laughs) it's funny how many people there that used to work here um and john being one of them i think that you know that, that sort of fast turnaround um just do it uh, attitude is uh, is is quite similar there as to it has been here. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's starting out on their career as a journalist now, wants to be the next you, as it were? Um, you know, because c- in many ways, we, I've asked this question a few times of people sitting in that chair: is is it more difficult if you're starting out in a kind of career in TV journalism, or, or is it easier? Because it, in one sense, you can make a name for yourself more easily by doing your own blogs or podcasts or whatever. But in another sense, there's much fewer jobs and opportunities available to everyone. It's a smaller pool to fish in. Yeah, I mean, the whole journalism industry has gone through a radical change um, in the sort of 25 years I've been working in it. Um, You know, local newspapers have shut down. uh, Regional newsrooms are smaller in staff sizes than they used to be. But equally, there's more platforms than there ever were. You know, when when I went into telly, there was news on Channel 4, there was news on ITV, um, and there was news on the BBC. And and then five came along and there was news on that. But, you know, it wasn't, there weren't 24 hour channels that didn't exist. Look what there is now. There's Russia Today, there's Rise, I think it's just full, isn't it? There's there's a Turkish tea. There's there's so many different outlets. There's a lot of channels. There's a lot of channels. Um, and, it, and it's not just all on, on telly. There's, you know, the digital platforms. You can be writing news for Snapchat, you can be writing news for Facebook, you can be writing news for Twitter, you can be writing news for yourself. You can 
can set up a blog. You can you can you can become a you know a one man phenomenon um, or one woman phenomenon. So I think in a way that the opportunities are broader um, and not so traditional. You still need the same skills as you always did. You know, you'll go far in news, full stop, if you are passionate about what you do, if you are inquisitive about what you do, and if you are prepared to ask the right questions and never take no for an answer. And that that was the same 25 years ago, and it's the same now, I think. So, as I said, my advice to, to people listening to this who are at college now, um, just keep knocking at doors, make a name for yourself, tell stories. You've got the you've got the platforms out there to do it. Um, just, you know, make some noise about what you do. Where would you gain or even lose a viewer to? I mean, for example, you know, in the old days, if you, you either read this, the, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you might read the Daily Mirror, you might read The Sun, and they would compete for the same um, kind of audience. But you might lose a viewer to BuzzFeed. They might give up on television news entirely. Or, or do you re- will you acquire a viewer from scratch, someone who doesn't watch TV news, so they're not necessarily watching the BBC, but you then turn them on to your show? Talking about uh, uh, Five News... Uh, I don't think the Five News viewer is necessarily somebody who's going to be engaged with BuzzFeed because BuzzFeed is a much younger audience than than I think we've got. Look, people are fascinated by what's going on in the world and um, they will sample it how, you know, how what fits into their lifestyle. So um, at five o'clock, a lot of people, a lot of our viewers are coming in from work or they're getting the tea ready or they have been looking after kids all day or they're retired people and they're kind of we've got sort of our audience are divided they are either people who are sitting down with a cup of tea digesting it all not the tea but the the, the program and very avid um or viewers <laughs> yeah or they are coming in and they're getting dinner ready and they're nagging the kids to do their homework and there's lots going on so we work very hard to kind of reach out we cover the kinds of stories that really engage them we have a focus on uk domestic news but we tell foreign news when we need to we commission um lots of kind of uh investigative series on things like growing up in britain growing old in britain um we did a lot of stuff on the nhs last year because we know it's the kind of stuff that our audience really cares about we work really hard with production values to make things pop out the screen so that for the busy people who've got it on in the background they'll oh that looks good I'll, I'll get drawn into that and also to make sure that we are you know we're, we're covering the stories that really matter to our audience and to the things that kind of affect them so it's you know it's it's stuff you work hard at to kind of keep your viewers and, and and bring them in so final question then what's going to be the next big job after sky do, do, you know is global domination the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the goal oh i don't know do you know i've be never lying on a beach somewhere no i've been really really lucky i, I look back in it all and i've you know Things like this is when you look back and, and you, oh, I'm coming to the end of my time at ITN, you look back at the things you've done. None of it's ever been really planned. I'd like to say I've had this kind of plan since the age of eight, you know, that in 1994 I would join ITN and in, you know, 2010 I would edit news at 10 and win an RTS. You know, it's not been planned like that at all. Um, if you'd said to me six months ago I'd leave ITN and go and become director of content at Sky News, I'd have gone, don't be so silly. So I don't really, I don't really have any idea where I'm going to be in 10 or 15 years' time. Um, I'm 50 next year, so that's a bit of a milestone. Uh, I think the days of us retiring at 60 are long gone. It's game so over. It, <laughs> it's game <laughs> over, isn't still, it? Still yeah, well, our children still living at home, exactly. Uh, so I don't really know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I keep thinking to myself that maybe I won't work in news, but um, I still really love it. What would you do? Actually, that is an interesting question. What would you do if you weren't in news? I'd like to, I'd like to carry on working in telly. I think there is, there is nothing... 
I, I just like making stuff. I just like leading a team of people to create great content. So whether it's on the telly or on a digital platform, or whether it's news, I always had a passion to be editor of Blue Peter, but um, I suspect that's probably passed me by now. So I, I, I don't really know. I mean, again, one of the attractions of going to Sky is that it's a massive company and you know, who knows, I might be running Sky Arts or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, I generally don't have a plan. Um, I think I'll start this job. And then worry about the next plan after a few years of this one. Well, I think we should have you back on 10 years from now and find out how you went. <laughs> find out what I did. Christina, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you ever so much. Thank you very much indeed. A Big Things Media Production. <laughs> Big Things!